Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nottingham Playcast. The podcast is about to begin. Please take your seats. Welcome to Nottingham Playcast, episode 7. What an incredible buzz around the playhouse at the moment. It's been an amazing year. Right now, the madness of George III is making us famous all over the land. And of course, we've got our pantomime still to come in Robin Hood and the Babes in the Wood. But let's move from one local hero to another, our artistic director, Adam Penford. Here's an exclusive interview with Adam, looking back at the year gone by, giving you the inside story on the madness of George III and looking forward to our spring season. I am joined today by our artistic director, Adam Penford. How are you today, Adam? I'm good, thanks, Fraser. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. We've had our first matinee of The Madness of George III. How's it gone? It was good, actually. Our first midweek matinee. I thought the cast might be a bit tired, but um, I snuck in to the last few minutes of the show to watch the applause, basically. Um, And uh, (laughs) the response was great, so I was happy. Fantastic. So I'm going to ask you a few questions about how the season's gone today, a little bit about the madness of George III, and then what's coming up in the next year. How do you think your season's gone? It's really good. I mean, it's, it's over a year since we announced the 2018 season, and the madness of George III is our last show in that season. Um, it's been a great year, actually. Um, daunting at times. I've been a bit nervous about it. Um, but overall, I think all the shows have gone down well, and I'm incredibly proud of the team for, for getting it all put together. What have you been most proud of? Oh, there's so many things to pick from. I suppose I'm aware that some of the shows have been of a really large scale. So, you know, Sweet Charity was the first musical that we'd lead produced in many years, over a decade. And The Madness of George III has an even bigger cast than that and an even bigger set design. But all the shows, right back to Wonderland earlier this year, you know, was a big set. It actually recently won Best Set Design at the UK Theatre Awards for Morgan Large, our designer. Um, So I suppose the thing I'm most proud of is the team. Uh, You know, firstly, the production team, the guys who make the sets and costumes and props and paint them. Um, But also everybody at the Playhouse, marketing, finance, administration, the digital producer, Fraser. That's 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 you. (laughs) You know, everybody's worked really hard to make the season a success. And I guess that's what I'm most proud of. And you've had a real emphasis on local artists. Do you think that's key to be part of the region? Yeah, I think so. Um, You know, the first show that we did this year, my first show as artistic director, was Wonderland, um, which was by a local writer, Beth Steele, and about the miners' strike in North Knotts. Um, And then uh, another show within that season was Shabin, which again was by Mafaro Makabika, who lives in St. Hans. And the other thing I did right at the beginning, this time last year actually, was held open auditions for actors who both live in the East Midlands or originate from the East Midlands, um, so I could meet as many local, as much as the local talent as possible. I'm really proud that actually we've we had local actors appear in every single one of our mainstay shows this year. And I think that is a key part of what we're here to do as a theatre. You know, we're, we're here to put on work that will appeal to local audiences and, and say something about their lives, but also to showcase the amount of talent that we have locally as well. One of my uh, friends is actually in your Madness of George III, Jess. Is Jess your friend? Yes. How do you know Jess? I've known Jess a very long time. I'm not telling you where I met her. <laughs> I used to attempt to be an actor. I was rubbish. What? So I stopped doing that and made videos. 
but Jess is on your main stage now. Yeah, Jess is um, playing Papendiek, which is one of George III's footmen. And we've got some um, gender-blind casting, basically. We've got some female actors playing male roles. Mm-hmm. And Jess is brilliant. And, you know, local, like you said, local actor. Um, I saw her on Monday in the bar after the show, and she'd had her drama school teacher uh, come in and see her, and she was so proud of Jess. So, yeah, we love that. That's really good. Awesome. And let's move on to talking a bit about press. We've had a lot of press since you've been uh, dealing with the season. Tell us about what you think about all that. One of the things I set out to do when I was appointed artistic director was to increase Nottingham Playhouse's profile. Um, The quickest way to do that is to try and uh, stage work or or any artistic activity. It doesn't necessarily have to be what's on the stages. Um, It can be the work we do through our education programme, for example. But try and generate as much media interest as possible for various reasons. One is... um, that helps uh, put bottoms on seats, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and we're a big theatre. We seat 770 people in that main, in the main house, and, and that's a lot for a city the size of Nottingham. You know, so that's a lot of tickets to shift, and that's the point of doing it. There's no point in putting on an amazing production if nobody comes to see it. I've been aware that, you know, through a combination of uh, trying to attract the very best theatre directors and actors of great profile to come and do the work, um, putting on plays that I think the audiences will be interested in seeing and that the the media will be interested in. Alan Bennett's a great example. He's a national treasure. Um, I knew that Mark Gatiss would probably uh, admire the movie version of George III and, and Nigel Hawthorne's magnificent performance in that. So I, that's, so I thought, how can I get Mark Gatiss to Nottingham Playhouse I'll offer him an amazing role in an Alan Bennett play and hopefully that will tempt him and it worked. So, um, yeah, so we've done really well this year. There's been an increase in the amount of theatre critics who are coming to review the work and that helps spread the word about um, the, the level of productions that we put on here, both regionally and nationally. Let's talk a little bit about the big show that's on at the minute. Let's talk about The Madness of George III. The cast is amazing. I had the chance to meet a few of them. Uh, before you started rehearsing, tell us about how, how it's been working with them. They're an amazing cast, actually. We're really, really privileged. It's a big cast. There's 17 of them. It's one of the biggest casts I've ever seen at Nottingham Playhouse. Um, but every single one of them have worked so hard over the last five weeks during rehearsals. There's been hardly any grumpiness when people have been tired or hungry <laughs> or when um, the time pressure has increased towards the end of rehearsals. And everybody plays their part. And that's partly because... Alan Bennett writes fully rounded characters, uh, no matter on the size of the role. It's a real joy for the actor to play. Um, but also, you know, headed by Mark Gatiss and then uh, Deborah Gillet and Adrian Scarborough, who are the other two leading roles. They're so generous and welcoming and not divas in any way, shape or form that that positive attitude has filtered down throughout the acting company. So it's been a real privilege to work with them. Um, they're doing a brilliant job on stage, I think. And it's a big technical show, isn't it? The set has got a lot of movement. I know everyone backstage has been putting in a lot of work. I've seen a lot of tired faces. Talk us through what, was that, what tech was like. Alan Bennett has written a play which has 29 different scenes. Really, it's a film script rather than a theatre script. So we needed to um, design a set that was fluid, 
So you could move from one scene to another very quickly, very uh, fluidly. And our designer, Robert Jones, who started his career at the Playhouse several decades ago (laughs) before going on to design big West End Broadway opera productions, he's done an amazing job. So we've tried to capture a sense of George III's palace. So you get a real sense of the magnificence of royalty. But it also twirls constantly and the walls are kind of translucent. They're made of a gauze material, so you can see shadows behind them. And that's meant to reflect uh, the king's mind as it deteriorates so it, and his mind starts to race. The set is constantly whirling. The technical rehearsals at the beginning of this week were, uh, last week were intense. <laughs> um, it's a big show to put together. But we have a great production team here at the Playhouse who have worked above and beyond, really. Um, and I would say it's... You know, I'd say that the team have put together something that would rival any West End production. Is there, like, portion of the set that really stands out for you? Is there a bit that you like the most? Like, I'm a big fan of the floor. The yeah. floor's incredible. I don't know how they've done that, but <laughs> I, I really like it. Yeah, the floors are kind of, they're mirror, mirrored panels, aren't they? Mm-hmm. That they've then broken down to make them look distressed and a bit old. You actually, weirdly, normally you get a better view in the stalls in a theatre of the action. But if you watch George III from The Circle, you really see that floor much better. Yeah. Um, and you get all the reflections of the actors. It's like they're acting in water at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that. I, I mean, I like it all, but I suppose I'm particularly proud of the work that our paint shop have done. Yeah. Claire and Anna and, and the rest of the, the ladies in our paint shop. So they paint all of those magnificent backdrops. And for George III, we really set them a challenge. So rather than having a front cloth which is made out of velvet and material, they've painted it to look like it's made out of material. Um, it harps back to uh, 18th century theatre. That's where we got the idea. Um, it's so ornate and it just looks Amazing. It, it, it looks so good that for my first night cards to the cast and crew, I actually took a photo of that front cloth and that was on the front of my cards. Oh, very nice. So we had press night this week. It all went really well. Tell us about how you're feeling after reading those reviews. Or, or do you read the reviews? I don't know. I didn't used to read reviews when I was a freelance theatre director because... The trouble with them is, if you believe the good reviews, then you have to believe the bad reviews. (laughs) So I was always, I just thought it was better not to. And the the reviews come out on the the morning after press night, which is when you're usually exhausted, you've had very little sleep for several weeks, um, and you're, I know it sounds a bit wussy, but you're at your most vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So you you take everything to heart. Um, However, when I took over as artistic director of a building, I realized that I had to read the reviews because I needed to know how the shows were going down in order to deal with the cast and help marketing with whatever they had to do. But luckily, on Madness of George III, we've had pretty good reviews. Yeah. We have. It's sort of so far, touch wood, we've still got some to come out. We've had uh, four stars across the board and then one magnificent five out of five star reviews. Um, quite rightly, they've recognized Mark Gatiss's amazing performance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is so impressive what he's doing. And, and the whole cast uh, and the design. You know, everything's been complimented. Um, and they've also recognized the parallels with the play and today's political climate. You know, George III lost America. There's a lot happening in American politics at the moment. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that sort of comes out. The Prince Regent is waiting in the wings to, to, to take the throne. Uh, it was interesting this morning in the, in the newspapers, the headlines were of Prince Charles saying when he becomes monarch, he's going to meddle less. I mean, the play is literally about that at times. <laughs> that could be a scene from an Alan Bennett play. 
And also the attitudes to mental health have changed a lot over the years since Alan wrote the play in the early 90s. So, um, yeah, so I'm really chuffed that the critics think it's still a pertinent play. You've got one more milestone before the end of the run of the play. We have NT Live coming into the building and it's going to broadcast all around the world. How does that make you feel? <laughs> yeah, National Theatre Live is really cool. So we're going to broadcast to 65 countries uh, and around 2,500 cinemas worldwide. It goes out live from Nottingham, so that's a bit scary. I've done them before at the National Theatre. They're always thrilling and there's a real adrenaline rush, but there is a, a slightly different pressure from an average performance night. I suppose it's the actors know that they're being filmed in close-up. And everybody's aware that if something goes really wrong, you're just going to have to keep going and muddle yeah. through. Um, so that puts a pressure. But I'm really thrilled. NT Live haven't done many regional broadcasts. Um, it's been several years since they did the last one. And I think it's a real coup and, and a credit to Nottingham Playhouse that they felt we would put on a production of a high enough standard that people would want to see it all around the world. So, yeah, I'm chuffed. You should be. Yeah. It's exciting. We had a lady in uh, for the Pay What You Can performance that came all the way from Buffalo, I believe. <laughs> I interviewed her for the audience reactions, and she planned her whole holiday around it. Yeah, we have. We've had people from America. Um, someone was in from China the other week. Um, that's the power of Mark Gatiss, I suspect. Uh, Doctor Who, Sherlock, Game of Thrones, League of Gentlemen. He's a bit of a, a national treasure in his own right, I guess. Certainly is. So moving on. After this, we have Pantomime. That's coming up. And then in the new year, we have your new season. And you're starting with Wonderland. You're bringing Wonderland back. I'm personally really excited about that. That's the first uh, show I saw uh, since I got the job. And it was a great way to start. I'm excited to see it. Uh, how are you feeling about it? More standing ovations? Yeah. I mean, Wonderland was amazing because it's the one show that everybody has kept saying to me all year, are you going to bring Wonderland back? And... Uh, and it seemed quite a natural thing to do because, you know, because Beth Steele's a local writer and it often plays get a first outing and then disappear. So it's amazing to be able to support her career further. And it also seemed to connect with our audience in a way that it's quite rare that a play really gets a whole audience on its feet night after night after night, you know, during the, the bows. I think it's because it's telling a story that Nottingham feels passionately about. The miners' strike uh, was an integral part in our history and still the effects of it still resonate today uh, in those areas in North Knotts, the former mining communities. But it's also the way Beth tells it. She took a 360 view of the event. So you follow the lives of the miners and their families, but you also see what was happening at the coal board. You also see what was happening with the politicians who were dealing with the, the government policies at the time. And she manages to do it in a way which is incredibly moving. Um, most of the audience came out saying, I wept, but also incredibly funny. There's real moments of yeah. humour there. The whole audience are laughing. There's one particular joke that I won't ruin by saying here, but it gets an applause in the middle of a scene because it is that funny. That's really <laughs> rare, but kind of cool. Good. And you're following that up with our uh, family show. We had holes this year, which was really great. Uh, but this year, tell us a little bit about what we've got in store. Yeah, I introduced the family show because I wanted to have another thing in the programme which would be attracted to our pantomime audiences. And so this year was Holes, based on the novel by Lewis Acker. Mm -hmm. um, this, next year, it's uh, Skellig, 
by David Almond. So another familiar book, it's studied at school, families know it, and it's about a 12-year-old boy, Michael, whose uh, baby sister has been born prematurely and his parents are spending a lot of time at the hospital, so uh, Michael's neglected. Uh, They've moved to this dilapidated old crumbling house uh, and Michael's warned not to go into the garage because it's collapsing and unsafe. But amongst the spider's webs and the junk, he discovers at the back of the garage a creature living called Skellig. And you never quite find out if Skellig's an imaginary friend or an angel or the old man who used to own the house. Uh But he helps Michael through that tough time in his life. So it's a kind of coming of age story. And what I think, what I'm hoping is like with Holes, we had a lot of schools audiences come to the matinees and then we had a lot of families come in the evening. But we also had some adults come along because Holes deliberately, you know, we programmed Holes because it deliberately does appeal to adults as well. And I hope Skellig will do the same. I'm excited to see how you bring those characters to life. (laughs) It's going to be good. Well, it's being directed by Lisa Blair, who's an amazing uh, up and coming director. So that's all down to her. (laughs) (laughs) Wish you luck. It's going to be good. And next up, we have Memory of Water. That's going to be an intense show. Yeah, Memory of Water is a kind of modern classic. It was written in the mid-90s by Sheila Stevenson, set in the Northeast. And it's about three middle-aged sisters who return to their childhood home on the eve of their mother's funeral. Their dad's gone. Um, And they don't really get on, these, these siblings. They sort of... They argue with each other. The oldest sister feels still lives nearby. She feels like she's been left to care for their their dying mother. Um, the middle sister is having an affair with a married man, who, and he, you get the sense he's never going to leave his wife, so that's troubled. And then the younger sister is a kind of tear away who won't settle down. And they spend the evening drinking and smoking and uh, start to talk about their childhood and realise that their childhood stories don't match There's a series of revelations and skeletons in the closet. Um, So it's about grief. It's about families. It's about siblings. It won Best Comedy uh, at the Olivier Awards when it first came out. Alison Steadman was in the West End production. Um, And I programmed it because theatres often program it because it's incredibly popular with audiences. Because I guess everybody can relate to it in some way. And to finish your season, we have Matthew Zia coming back to theatre for our regional premiere of One Night in Miami. Tell us a little bit about that, because that's an amazing story. Yeah, so Matthew Zia uh, directed Shabim for us very successfully earlier this year. And he's recently been made one of our artistic associates uh, alongside Amanda Whittington, another amazing writer, uh, and James Graham, who's got just probably the most successful British playwright of the moment, mm-hmm. but is also from North Knots. One Night in Miami is an American play that premiered in the UK in London a couple of years ago. This is its regional premiere. It's quite a coup to get the rights. It took me quite a long time. <laughs> I'll tell you the story sometime over a drink. Um, <laughs> and it's about the night in 1963 when Cassius Clay won the world champion boxing. And he went back to a Miami motel room with his mates to celebrate. And it just so happened that those mates were the soul singer, Sam Cooke, the civil rights campaigner Malcolm X uh, and a famous American footballer called Jim Brown. And it was the night before Cassius Clay announced to the world that he was becoming Muhammad Ali. Um, So what you get is four men who are on the cusp of stardom um, set against the backdrop 
of the civil rights movement, which is happening outside the, the windows of the Miami motel room. It's very funny. They eat ice cream. They banter. They tease Sam Cooke and say that he's just writing safe songs for a white audience and, and Bob Dylan is writing more political songs than he is. And actually throughout the play, Sam Cooke starts to write the classic uh, A Change Is Gonna Come. Um, and performs it. And, and when I saw the show in London, the moment he sang A Change Is Gonna Come, having heard these black characters talk about their lives in 1960s America, it was just the, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up. So it's incredibly pertinent to the political landscape of what's going on both here and in America. Um, and we're really looking, Matt Henry is going to play Sam Cooke. Matt Henry is well known to people because he was a finalist on The Voice Mm -hmm. on the BBC programme. He also won the Best Actor in a Musical Olivier Award for Kinky Boots in the West End. So it's going to be a great cast. Matthew will make a brilliant job of it. And that's how we're ending the spring season. Real contrast in the shows, isn't there? Yes. So it's going to be a great year. I hope it's going to be a great year. Do you think you might start acting again, Fraser? You can be one of the shows. I don't think that's wise. (laughs) I was rubbish. (laughs) We'll let Jess do that. Yeah. So thanks very much, Adam. Thanks for speaking to me. And good luck for NT Live and the rest of the run of Madness of George III. Thank you. Always a pleasure. So there we are. It's always great to hear from Adam. He really has given us a remarkable year in his first year in post and a remarkable show to finish in The Madness of George III. Fascinating to hear the director's point of view on that production. I hope you'll agree. It sounds like Adam has lined up an equally exciting spring for us in 2019. If you didn't catch Wonderland the first time around, it's a show I'd heartily recommend. It really is remarkable. But I hope amongst the new productions, there's something there to catch your interest. I hope you enjoyed this edition. Remember, you can catch Nottingham Playcast on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever else you download your podcasts. Thanks for listening. See you next time.